0: Well, hello everybody. Welcome to the PEL. I'm your host, Bob Pangrazy, and as you know, we discuss and offer advice about issues and concerns related to physical education and teaching. And we have focused a lot uh, on COVID uh, and its impact on teachers, and certainly we're not going to stop because we know, you know, there's still a whole lot going on out there. But we are going to try to expand our vision and cover some other topics such as effective teaching, curriculum, uh, fitness, uh, lifetime activity, social and emotional development um, for students. So uh, if you have any suggestions about topics you'd like to see discussed uh, on the huddle, let us know and we'll try to pull together some speakers uh, to meet your needs. Uh, As you know, Gopher sponsors the P.E. Huddle and makes every effort to support teachers, and they have a long history of offering quality products to support and promote physical education. But uh, you may not realize that they are highly dedicated to the mission of supporting teachers by sharing professional advice uh, as a way of giving back to the profession. Uh, Gopher professional development websites are only as good as we professionals make them so if you're an experienced teacher and i'll talk a little bit more about this at the end of the um, broadcast and would like to share your passion and expertise with the pe community i encourage you to apply to be a gopher contributor Uh, and you can do so at gophersport.com contribute once again gophersport.com contribute But we'll also, if you're like me, you'll need a link and we'll provide it to you in your follow-up email, so you'll get all that. Um, By the way, if you're new to the huddle, uh, we'll give you a professional development certificate at the end of this webcast. Um, For those of you listening to the recorded version, it's posted online shortly after the live presentation and uh, shortly after that, uh, you'll be emailed a certificate in a few days. Uh, So, uh, if you want to download your own certificate, you can do that at pd.gophersport.com. So, now we've got the busy work out of the way, and on to our guest and today's huddle. You know, physical education has long included physical activity, skill development, and fitness as primary points of focus for our profession. Today, with a focus on fitness, our guest is Mr. Darnell Clark. He holds degrees from Northwestern University, Arizona State University, and is currently a doctoral student in kinesiology at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Darnell has a physical education teaching background and currently serves as the Director of Strength and Conditioning at Charlotte Country Day School. He and his staff are responsible for the human performance needs of 70 teams within 70, 26 sports i don't know that sounds a little overwhelming to me darnell but uh you look like you're holding it down um darnell was recognized by the national strength and conditioning association as the national high school coach of the year darnell it's a real pleasure to welcome you to the huddle i i couldn't be happier about it and uh let's warm you up, stretch you out, get you ready for your conditioning on the huddle here uh, by having you just give us some idea of your background in physical education. By the way, I I just wanted to mention, because Darnell's about as humble a person as you'll find, but Darnell was also a football player at Northwestern, so he's got a lot of background in teaching and sports, and take it away, Darnell. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you
1: for inviting me to be on the huddle. This is a a pleasure to be able to connect with you um, again. It's been some years and um, I'm, I'm really pleased to to be here as your guest. Uh, a little bit about me, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and I once I graduated, you mentioned it before, I, I went on to Northwestern University um, on a full football scholarship. And for me, I, really wanted to use football as a means to an end to get the best education that I could possibly and North Washington just fit me like a glove. So I was very fortunate to be able to go there, um, play there in the Big Ten and uh, get a really good quality education, meet some of my best friends and just you know, push me in a trajectory of you know being a, a professional and a, and a good person, which is what I always aim to be. Um, But when I finished at Northwestern, I really um, was interested in in the business world, at least so I thought. So I went into the business world for a few years, um, and and it just really did not speak to me. It wasn't wasn't fulfilling to me. So um, I got a job at a place called East Bank Club, which is a beautiful um, 500,000 square foot health club in downtown Chicago. Um, Oprah Winfrey's a member, um, you name it. It's just, it's a really cool place. And that allowed me to get my um, feel in terms of fitness and athletics. I ran the sports and rec program, ran kids programs. And then I started to take some kinesiology classes at night at the University of Illinois Chicago and just was really enjoying it. So at that point, I pretty much exhausted all the The coursework that I could get Um, and so I I needed to go into a program full-time so I started looking at some of the top um, kinesiology and PE programs in the country and and like I think I've told you before I looked at um, Penn State and Arizona State and quite honestly I was I had enough of the cold so um, I went down to I had some friends that worked for the Cubs in the marketing department and they had a client of Southwestern Airlines. And they got vouchers all the time and they have a spring training. They say, hey, you wanna come to Arizona? Now, this was a little bit tough being a St. Louis Cardinal fan my whole life and going and hanging out at Cubs spring training. But I looked at it as a means to an end. I was gonna get to go down there and visit Arizona State and walk the campus and actually got to sit down with um, Professor Paul Darce and just chat about the program. I don't even know if you know that, Dr. Van Graze, but um, it it, it was on that trip that I decided that 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 was gonna be the place for me. So moved down to Arizona in 99 and um, started to, wanted to get residency first. So I um, got a job teaching PE in the Mesa School District um, for a year, and I was a traveling lower school or elementary PE teacher. I had four schools, I had two schools a day, and I alternated, Um, and it was the greatest lesson for me to really be immersed in the dynamic physical education method. Um, The end services were wonderful once a month, and it allowed me to enter my master's program at Arizona State with a wealth of experiential knowledge in that one year of getting residency. So it was really nice to learn the, the science behind the method Um, after I taught for a year, and it was very helpful in in navigating through that. So, finished that, um, actually, while I was in that program, I also um, worked as a graduate assistant in the Sports Performance Department at Arizona State. Um, Being a former football player, that was an end for me to work with that, that program and that team, Dirk Cutter was the coach at the time, and they liked to have former football players coaching football players. It's a kind of a respect thing, it's a, kind of a, a right message, and it allowed me to get my feet wet in terms of strength and conditioning. So I had this duality, I was working in with lower school, um, I was doing student teaching at a middle school down in Mesa, and I was also working in the sports performance department. So at the completion of that, um, I started looking at schools back east. Um, and quite honestly, I started looking at boarding schools because I wanted to be able to Teach PE, coach, and possibly have the opportunity to have some housing. Had a young family at the time, and I was trying to maximize, you know, my skill set. That landed me actually in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Charlotte Country Day School, where I was the second full-time strength and conditioning coach, which was really right up my alley. So, 16 years later, uh, here I am, and uh, it's been a wonderful ride, and I just I'm very fortunate to have the support and the resources that I do at a place like this
0: well that that's a good ride and you've worked hard I know that and congrats on where you are you. Um, you let let's let's kind of you know we're gonna kind of talk and combine physical education and strength and conditioning and we're not going to look at high level fitness performance as much as we are as you know, bringing kids together and putting a program and doing some things like that. So some practical things for all those teachers that are out there listening to us, we're gonna talk about that. We're certainly not gonna delve in and and uh, tell someone how you create a football conditioning program. That's not where we're going. Um, but tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, a, kind of a nutshell view of what you do as a strength and conditioning. Uh, department head?
1: Yeah, so as you mentioned, we are a a very big school in terms of um, athletic opportunities. We start our uh, competitive athletics in middle school in the seventh grade. So first, let me back up. So we have junior kindergarten to fourth grade. That makes up our lower school. Then we have a campus about five miles down the road that is fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and that's our middle school. And then you come back up to the high school. The high school and the lower school are on the same physical grounds, um, different parts of the campus. And then you go 9th through 12. So athletics starts at the middle school halfway through competitively um, in seventh grade. So seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, and 11th makes up our athletic offerings. Um, lower school has physical education every day. Middle school has physical education every day. And then the upper school, they get their physical education credit through athletics. So, high level, 90% of our upper school athletes, um, or 90% of our upper school students play at least one sport. And that other 10% may be in theater, they may be equestrian, they may be in gymnastics, they may do things that we don't offer, um, ice hockey, they may do things that we don't offer at our school to also satisfy those physical education credits. That's kind of how we're made up. Um, Me, so we have, we also have program heads. So a program head is somebody, let's take the baseball coach. The program head baseball coach is the varsity coach, but he's also responsible for the junior varsity level, the eighth grade level, and the seventh grade level. So he's responsible for his four different levels of athletics. I have very close relationships with our program heads, and we sit down, at least on a yearly basis, sometimes twice a year, sometimes more frequently if they're a young coach, and we kind of map out plans. It may be an annual plan, it may be if they're a new coach, we might look at a three to five year plan, and then we kind of reverse engineer it. That will determine what kind of strength and conditioning program they're going to get at different developmental levels and you know skill acquisition levels as well. So that's how we kind of operate Um, We have a lot of interns coming through here, we have graduate assistants, and we just started a fellowship program, a year-long fellowship program for master's um, students or people who have recently graduated as a kind of transitional year into the field. And so we on full tilt, we may have as many as five or six strength and conditioning coaches. We have three of us full-time and I run the program. So that's how we execute dealing with all those different teams.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, let, let's bring it down to a practical level for these teachers. Now let's, let's talk about some guidelines that you might be able to share with teachers. Um, let's say elementary school teachers, uh, mm-hmm. and then we'll move up to middle school. Um, and, and, but if First of all, should strength and conditioning be part of the elementary school program? And if so, how would you introduce it in a way in which you think it's most beneficial?
1: I think strength and conditioning at the lower school or elementary school level may happen in a fitness-like component um, within your curriculum. Hopefully you do have some type of curriculum or structure where you're at. So I have a very close relationship. I'm right down the hall from our lower school PE uh, offices and we talk all the time um, because I'm a former elementary school PE teacher, and that is where I cut my teeth as a teacher and coach. So many of the principles that I use in my my coaching come from me being an elementary school PE teacher. And so, you know, um, but back to your question, you know, so I really believe in, The first thing that I want to do is I want to have these young kids, these young people fall in love with movement, okay? So I don't feel that elementary school teachers need to go crazy with the fitness component. Yes, it needs to be introduced and they form some type of literacy um, with, with fitness, but I believe in skill acquisition and physical activity overall because if someone feels competent and competent in what they're able to do in their movement quality, then I think they're more likely to experiment with different forms of physical activity over the course of their lives. So I think that it's very important that an elementary school teacher focus on having those kids fall in love with movement, okay? Um, I wouldn't go crazy with the strength and conditioning piece. And for, for me, when people, think of strength and conditioning, they often think of weightlifting. And yes, that is a component of strength and conditioning. However, I never add low to dysfunctional movers, okay? That is not what you want to do. So we want to develop good movers and it starts in lower school PE. You want to develop competent and competent movers. And as they progress through our PE program, when they get to the point where they're developmentally ready, and they've reached that peak height velocity, then we may we may introduce them to some type of load. Um, but really we wanna work on movement quality first.
0: And and you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate here for a minute on what you said about the love of movement. Um it, you know, I always say you gotta walk before you can run, and you can't get fit until you can run. Um, so th- there's, a, there's a hierarchy of things, and with young kids, uh, I, I think I hear you saying um, that there needs to be a fitness component in their lesson so kids experience it, but you're not interested in monitoring how much they do, et cetera. You're telling them to do their best when it, within a certain amount of time. You're encouraging them. Uh, the emphasis isn't on seeing how many more you can do than your neighbor next to you. But rather, it's a it's an experience that's good for you personally and somewhat geared to you personally, yeah. uh, and that would be in PE. Now, what if some of these teachers uh, the model's slightly different in schools? And your model is typical of private schools, but in in public schools, if someone has to teach, let's say fifth and sixth grade. Football, flag football, or something. Would you introduce a conditioning com, uh, component in kids who chose to go out for flag football, uh, and it's not required of everybody?
1: Yeah. So, how I would integrate a fitness or strength and conditioning component, and it, it might be in the first. Let's say it's a. Let's say it's a 35-minute class. Let's say the first seven minutes that could be your warm-up. You introduce some movement quality things and really, you know, you mentioned our 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 situation here where we're a kind of a closed loop system, it goes from lower school to middle school, middle school to high school. We're really working on our language right now. So that these kids are hearing the same type of language, similar type of cues throughout. So when they get to a point where we are looking at some type of performance evaluation, that we're speaking the same language. So I will be very cognizant of introducing kids to, to the language and proper movements within the warm-up, and that can become your strength and conditioning. Um, you know, gravity is a great teacher, um, you know, in terms of movement. And so there's all kinds of things you could do with no equipment and minimum equipment to really satisfy that strength
0: and conditioning component in your lesson. Would it be fair to say that um, with young kids, they play sports to get fit, whereas older kids get fit to play sports better?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that. And you know, when it comes to the high school, we have kind of built it in their, their experience. I don't think that a lot of kids inherently enjoy, the struggle that happens in preparation for their sport. But one of what makes me a true physical educator in my opinion is that I'm not necessarily worried about the outcomes. I'm trying to teach them about process. And if they start to embrace and enjoy the process of training, and you know my job is to I like to use this term constructive struggle. Um, making things challenging, but letting them know that there's a process of, you know, that kid did squats 300 pounds, didn't walk in here squatting 300 pounds. He started off with a good body weight squat and then he he progressed. And then, you know, genetics play a role in that too, which is a whole nother conversation. But um, yeah, it's the same concept of falling in love with movements, falling in love with the process. So I can help with their confidence. So when they go out on the world, they're not playing sports or if they are playing a sport in college in terms of recreational, um, that's a good thing, or whether they walk into the 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 fitness area, they have confidence, hey, I know what to do in here. I, i'm I'm not a fish out of water. You know, that to me is what we're trying to do here. Um the kids that are the the physical alphas, um, genetically, I have an impact on them, but they came into this space already the alphas and those are the ones that go on to play on the on the next level typically um and i had minimum thing minimum to do with that you know what i try to do is top everybody up to be the best that they can be you know and I'm, i hope i didn't go off topic here but
0: no you know, i think that, uh, i think what you just said is a huge mouthful you top everybody mm-hmm. up to be the best they can be i i mean you know, I, I I love that kind of thinking, and and I think you're just as honest and straightforward by saying, you know, when a when a genetically gifted athlete excels, probably it's because of the genetics more than it is you, um, yeah. and, and that's a fair statement. And 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 so I I always try to use this word, uh, this thinking with young teachers uh, working with young kids. Um, You know, first of all, they don't respond much to training, okay? Most of their improvement is due to increased efficiency and economy, but as far as actual response to training, that really doesn't uh, occur much with elementary kids. And you you get some young people working with kids in after-school sports and that sort of thing, and they think they're going to get out there and run them to death and do all the workouts and all the drills. And and fitness and it becomes more of a fitness lesson than it does become a sport lesson and there's probably nowhere to go with that that probably accomplishes very little and it doesn't create that love of movement for those kids who aren't genetically gifted and you know the reason i like your statement is that genetically gifted kids or if they do well they're rewarded by their performance the other kids who are trying hard may not be rewarded at all and that's pretty tough to stomach so Mm -hmm. um get them all active get them all, and by the way you don't know what a kid's going to be in elementary school because once they start into adolescence you've got muscle fiber differentiation and they grow a brand new body and it's a whole different kid and a kid who was a great endurance runner now isn't rather he's quick and speedy and he's he's changed so or now she can do skills that she couldn't do in elementary school so you know you don't know what you're having and I I just think the way you couched it in love of movement uh, I I just think that's a marvelous way to look at working with kids uh mm-hmm. in after school sports, uh, club sports, and PE. I think that that should run through everything they do. Right,
1: right. I'm with you. <laughs> All
0: right, let's crank it up a notch. Let's go to middle school. Now, right. let's let's go to middle school. What uh, Now, how do you start to look at it at that level?
1: So middle school is, is a challenging age. There's a lot going on in middle school. You're uh, right. There's a lot going on hormonally, um, socially, and every other kind of way that there could be. We're very fortunate to have a separate campus for a middle school so they can have that craziness contained right there, you know. But, you know, so for us, middle school is, from a PE standpoint, is when they start to get introduced to uh, sports and, and more game component, okay? So, you know, really... For, for me, what we're trying to do right now is to to be cognizant of how we spend that first ten minutes of of a of a lesson, because I think our lessons are about they're about um, now they also have to get dressed and changed, so total we're talking like fifty minutes. Um, you know, over time the the warm up model was run two laps, you know, but I think that that ten minutes could be used a little bit more constructively. In developing, like I said before, competent and competent movers. Okay. And what I really would encourage middle school teachers is to plan these things out. Look at your lessons. Study your lesson of that that those three weeks. And what is the what are the primary movements that are going to make those people successful in that unit? Tie that into the warm up, so that you have a seamless integration from warm up to activity and educate your students, this is why we're doing this, because they are cognitively in a place where they can understand that and appreciate that. And the more you give them, I believe in education, motivation by educating, you know, so the more information you give them, the more questions that they're asking, the more buy-in you're starting to develop. Okay, that it's not just some random thing that you put together, you know, that there's been some some thought and some process to this. So that's my advice for middle school is to be very, uh, uh, conscious of how you lead into whatever unit that you're working on if it is a sport or game unit that will take up majority of your PE time
0: Gee, I, I yeah there again I, I i think that's that's well said first of all we know that the middle school kids question everything you do okay mm-hmm. so why are we doing this i don't like this well mm-hmm. i don't know why we have to do this i just want to play and and we You know, I was
1: just saying, be proactive about that. They're going to have questions, put it out there for them, start asking them questions, embrace that because that's where they are in their development. Okay. If you want to bump heads with a middle schooler, good luck with you, (laughs) you know, um, try to facilitate curiosity and, and, and feed those questions and give them what they need. And it's okay, let's get to it, you know, type of thing. So
0: meeting them where they're at take the focus off the coach and put the focus on the kids in other words oftentimes it you do it because i told you so and the focus is on me the coach telling you what to do and they have no idea why it's good for them why they're doing it or anything else put it on them so they understand it and this is a part of you may you're, you're going to do it but here's why and here's what's going on and part of athletics is learning to do this and so um you know I, I i just think it's good and once again you're trying to continue their love of the activity by getting buy-in from them and uh, i think that's great um and if i'm putting words in your mouth tell me hey bob that's not what i'm trying to say here
1: okay uh, I think we're, we're, we're right we're aligned right there so
0: <laughs> um well, pick it up to the high school then. Bring it into the high school now. Well, let's go all the way. Talk to me about high school. Yeah, so, you know, one of the
1: things that you, when you get into high school is that they don't have the option of having strength and conditioning if they play a sport. Now, I will tell a kid all the time that you get these kids. And this is where that middle school actually is where that sports specialization starts to to happen. Um, sometimes it's even earlier. I'm not i I'm old school, I'm not a believer of that. I want them to have as many experiences as possible. Okay. Um, so but it is what it is. You will get those kids to say, hey, I'm a baseball player, I play in the summer, I play in the fall, I want to do strength and conditioning. Okay, so you kind of meet those kids where they're at. But from a from a program standpoint, um, we always start with injury prevention first. That really dictates what we, we do because uh, you know, the best athlete is the, an available athlete, okay? So we start with injury prevention um, and then we move through. We, we have a, a certain system of the way we do things. The only way that I can manage so many teams in so many sports is they have a, a system of training that when they are multiple sport athletes, they understand the process, now what we put in between those things may change and alter based on the injury trends of that particular sport. If they're a baseball player, softball player, tennis player, we may focus on a little bit more arm care. If they're a track runner or somebody who's more of a, a, a sprinter or whatever have you, we, we may work more on hip mobility and care and things like that. Everybody's gonna work on core development because a weak core is, is no good for, for anybody from an athletic standpoint. So. You know, there's a lot of broccoli in those smoothies, you know, so to speak, <laughs> uh, when it comes to training. You know, all the boys want to bench press, you know, and we do do that, but that's the dessert. That's not the main course, you know, type of thing. So, um, you know, it, it once again, it's, you know, having commerce so they get in high school and before we train, we may have a little 30 second powwow. This is what we're doing today. This is why we're doing it today. Um, you've had a you had school today, you had a tough day. Okay, this is a, an opportunity for you to release it. This is your time. We're gonna crank some music and we're gonna do things and we're gonna have a good time. So I want them once again to fall in love with the process, galvanize their team because they're training as teams, and you know, develop that confidence, you know, that hey, this wasn't all that bad. Okay, and I can see my improvement. I can see that I'm able to, if I'm a tennis player, I'm getting to more balls all of a sudden, okay? Or I'm not as sore after practice. You know, you gotta take these little teachable moments and let them know that that's because it's what we're doing and that's why we're doing it. So it's a constant reminder of, you know, the what's and the why's and motivation by education. I do a lot of educating and telling them the what's and the why's because quite frankly, these are some really smart kids in our school environment. They're really high academic level, um, and you know, this is an opportunity for them to get a release, you know, from the academic day and to you know develop some some other components that's going to be beneficial for them in their life.
0: And kids from all social SES levels need Absolutely. that just as Absolutely. much as your kids. Absolutely, I mean. They all need it. Um, I got a couple questions coming in. Um, one that I hear all the time. Um, at what age should kids start lifting weights?
1: Okay. So once again, never add load to dysfunction.
0: I'll repeat. Never and add that, load. Explain that, 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 that sounds pretty good, but explain what you mean by that, Darnell. Yeah. What I mean by
1: load is any additional weight beyond their body weight. If they're not good movers, if you can't perform a good squat pattern with your body weight, why would I put a bar on your back to do it incorrectly? That's gonna create more harm than it is good. So think about progressions. Think about regressions, which is moving backwards. So if they're good movers, maybe I give them a five, Kilogram medicine ball, maybe it's a a weight vest. Maybe you know I progress them in a way that's going to be progressive, but also make sure that they're not skipping too many steps to where their movement patterns become poor. Okay, so back to the age. Peak height velocity is very important. If you look in the research in terms of introducing certain things, that's that's really occurs in the middle school range so middle school is actually a good time to start
0: introducing them to and just uh, just to clarify here I don't want to interrupt you but you know sure. people I want people to know what when you say peak height, height velocity tell them what you're what you mean by that
1: so in that that anywhere from let's say 11 to 14 age they're starting to hit these growth spurts um, and it's it, it is a window of it can be either awkwardness because they're growing really quickly. Um, but it's really a developmental term um, that they are they are starting to hormonally be okay to perform exercises with load because their their hormones are going to support that their testosterone their these different hormones are starting to be infused in their body, which is why one of the reasons you have so many emotional things going on at the middle school level is because they're hitting, they're getting all of these hormones that are that are being pumped into their body. It also is an opportunity to to really start to ramp up, so to speak, that that training. But if you haven't created a good mover coming up to that standpoint, I would not suggest it. Okay. Movement is your priority first. Then load can be added afterwards or additional weight. But be very careful of where the weight is coming from um, and how much it is. And when I say where the weight's coming from is whether it's in the front of the body or it's behind the body or things like that. Um, Because one of the things that's happened, even though peak height velocity is happening, middle schoolers typically have a weak core. If you have a weak core, it's really hard to be to to hold your posture, you know. So that's something that you can start to work really hammer is their core strength through through various through various things. Um. So, and there's a lot of research on that. If you if you just Google, you know, um, that question, hopefully looking at some good journals, you'll you'll get some good information about um, the science behind that.
0: Well, let's go back to peak height velocity. Um, about when would you tell people that's going to occur? That's the tricky part because it's different in each person. I know person. it is. But give
1: me a give me some rough. <laughs> I'm going to pin you down. Also, I want to say. <laughs> I say. So in, in in boys, I would say ten to fourteen. Um, is is kind of a sweet spot ten to ten to fifteen um, girls maybe a year earlier because girls typically develop a little bit quicker than boys. Um, so let's say nine to fourteen in the, in that range you know um, which is right in that in that middle school and early high school years.
0: And the reason I pin you down on that one is because, you know, these teachers are going to say, well, peak height, velocity, how do I find that? And how do I know I'm really right? And how do I track that? And I, I don't know. I mean, so we got to give them something they can work with. That's a little more concrete. And, and, that, and I will, we all ahead.
1: have those, those kids that are, that are growing, growing facial hair in middle school. They've hit their peak height velocity earlier than the kid that, can't shave until he's 17 years old, or is not getting hair on his, you know, on, on his arms or on his legs and things like that. So, those are some of your keys right there is is when kids start to develop. And, and you'll get various levels. You get a kid who is, you know, can be physic. he can be 13, but in his body he can be 16. And then you can have a kid that's 13 and can be nine, you know, developmentally. So, it's a large swing
0: yeah and and i you know what you're saying is prepubescent kids uh, you you wouldn't you wouldn't lift weights with prepubescent kids is what i hear you saying. you'd wait till they start that growth spurt uh, probably yeah
1: yeah and i could you know if if you haven't had contact with them prepubescent is actually a good time to start to really start working on movement quality if you if you don't have you know, controlling what they're doing at the at the elementary school level, that that early middle school level is a is a good time to start working on really shoring up that movement quality because it's going to hit different people at different times, and and you know it's easier to transition when they're good movers than when they're not.
0: Yeah, and, and I I think the uh, I, I think uh, a, a real key is you know as lighter weight as possible until you get the movement patterns that you want absolutely and 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 then you can gradually grow but you know too many people in in lifting i feel focus on the product rather than the process and they're 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 more focused on how many kids they have lifting 100 pounds and how many kids can do this how many kids can do that it's the process if you teach the process of lifting correctly the product will take care of itself and the product is going to vary among all these kids who have differing genetic abilities so mm-hmm. uh, you know teach the process and i really think that's what i'm hearing you say is teach the process and teach it well yes
1: yeah, yeah. and build it into your systems because you don't have control of when development is happening so you want to be consistent in your process so when it does happen it can be met with success. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Now here's another question that just came up and and it's one I hear a lot. Um, what, what tips do you have uh, to get the very best effort from a student athlete?
1: Have them set their own goals. What is it that they want their end goal to be? That way you can hold them accountable when they're not performing in a way that's helping them achieve those goals,
0: you know? Well, you're, <laughs> I, just, I just want to say, this is a, a major college football player here who's talking about lifting, who's done some heavy lifting in his life. And, and he's, he's saying, set your own goals, set it for the individual work with the student get buy-in from the students i i hope you all are hearing that because sometimes in this business of lifting and fitness and strength and conditioning people get so into the mechanics of it all and how much you can lift and they forget the kid and you've done such a great job i just had to I just had to jump in on you here and, and thank you for that because I think you have such a good perspective and it's coming from a major university athlete. And I, uh, you know, I, I think that's great advice.
1: Yeah, it is simply is to, to reiterate, I often ask them, do your habits match your goals? It's as simple as that. Do your habits match your goals? And that includes sleep, that includes nutrition, that includes you know, everything that you're doing to, to help you, because if, you, if you're not getting the proper sleep, I don't care what you do, you're not, gonna, you're not gonna have success. You're not gonna have success in the classroom, you're not gonna have the success on the field, you're not gonna feel good, okay? We're doing a lot of things here to kind of monitor those things, self-monitor those things, because they're teaching and talk, teachable moments and talking points um, that really resonate with our, with our students make them responsible for their own growth and development.
0: Nice, nice. Um, In terms of your uh, strength and conditioning uh, facility, um, which is very nice, I I, I happen to see it. Um, What adjustments have you made for coping uh, with COVID?
1: So really it started this summer. Um, We did, we decided, in being in cohesion with our our county which is mecklenburg county here we started doing training outdoors outdoors only and we did it in smaller pods and the reason we did it in pods is for contact tracing so if there was some someone who was exposed to someone with COVID or somebody who had COVID, we were able to not have to shut down the whole system the whole thing but that particular pod and um all of our training we are fortunate enough to have land here we're fortunate enough to have mobile equipment and some other structures outside so we did all of our training for all of our sports and by the way we had more this is my 16th year here and this was our highest summer attendance all because everybody was around you know so it we were out of school for since march like everybody else the kids hadn't seen each other and it was, it was such a pleasure for them to get to see each other and, and interact. And we have a bunch of land, so we were able to spread out and do things and have time to transition and, and clean things. So then when the season started, we started, we have 11 training stations, or 11 racks, and we assigned one person per rack. And we're still at that stage right now. Um, but probably two thirds of our training is still happening outside. Um, Before I came on with you, I just finished with our uh, girls um, soccer and girls lacrosse, and we were doing movement sessions. So our strength and conditioning program, we have movement sessions, we have strength sessions, and then we have recovery sessions. And we have, sometimes they're merged into in the summer, we may have all three, you know, over the course of an hour and a half or something um, in season. Teams may only do movement sessions. Um, some teams may only do weight sessions. Um, so we have different components that 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 make up our our strength and conditioning model here.
0: All right, I got another question for you. I'm gonna put your feet in the real world. Okay, Not in the country day school yes. where you have you have a lot, and I'm couldn't be happier for you. That's not the point here. But the point is, I got a question what um how would you have people uh, darnell i want to start and and try to create a little fitness area and mm-hmm. I only have a little bit of money and I don't know what's i just don't have much money to buy anything I, I you know should I buy stretch bands should i what what should I spend my money on
1: absolutely so I'm a big fan of you just mentioned bands medicine balls, um, those are two things that are latex. <laughs> those are your cheapest items. Those are mobile items. So that you, can, you can take them in a, in a number of places um, and they provide resistance for you. Um, then I may move up to maybe, uh, well, obviously things like jump ropes are great. Um, you got heavier, thicker jump ropes. You have speed ropes. Um, those are also inexpensive, um, and then the next step up was probably something like a weight vest. Um, I find that I'm a big fan of, of, of weight vest um, because it helps you from a from a posture standpoint. If I want you to do walking lunges, it's nice to have a 10 pound weight vest to do it, or maybe some bear crawls, or you know, just different things that that um, won't change your gait too much or your 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 movement patterns. So. Those are those are some things off the top of my head um, that go for sales or other company sales. I mean, local uh, in this region of the country, Dick's Sporting Goods, you know, is is very is our big um, box um, sports equipment store. I think um, I like
0: the first one you said best. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But you know,
1: things that are um, those are things that are mobile um things that you can keep in your your vehicle or in your locker or some place that you know that's not going to get uh grow legs as I like to say you know and, and walk yeah. away you know type yeah. of thing
0: so yeah those are um, those are good I got another question here that came in uh are there any sports because you know you've got what 26 sports I think you said mm-hmm. are there any sports that you don't do any strength and conditioning for
1: you know It's funny, when I first came here, I started with two teams. I had football and I had volleyball. And I had to build those relationships with those coaches and made sure that I added value to what they were doing. Now, it is 16 years later, and it probably took me a good five or six years before we had everybody on board um, with strength and conditioning there. There is no one, cheerleaders, golf, swimmers, Track and field distance. We work with everybody, um, dance team, um, and and not everything looks the same, you know. Um, but we have a full commitment from from all these different teams. Now, the frequency varies, um, but we make a point to to offer uh, opportunities for every everyone. That's okay. a good question
0: yeah, that was a good question. Um, we do have a we have a pretty uh, sharp uh, audience out there, and they ask some questions that we can't answer too. I guarantee you, they every once in a while they stump me. Um, let let me uh, we're gonna pull this together here. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to talk about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion and and you know we we know they're important in p e. could could you? I'm just going to give let you freelance here a little bit. Give yeah. me give me your thoughts on that if you would.
1: You know, the diversity, equity, and inclusion is is definitely on our minds right now. With everything that's going on in this country, it's you know companies are are coming out hiring diversity uh, directors, and you know it's happening really at the private school level. There there are probably ten to fifteen jobs around the country because it's becoming a focus you know, for me, some of my best experiences have been with staffs, with teaching staffs that were diverse, that we all brought something of our, you know, and I'm talking diversity of age, gender, ethnic background, cultural, you know, a lot, oftentimes think people just think race is, is diversity. No, I mean diversity in experiences um, all the way around. We are better when we have a variety of voices uh, that can be heard. Um, The equitable equitable comes in is when everybody has the same opportunities, you know? And then the inclusion just kind of ties it all together to make sure that it's a sustainable, systematic method. For me, I feel that our kids, especially our young kids, need to have different experiences with different people from different backgrounds because thats that might be their first experience. That might be their only experience until they graduate. Um, and so I feel that there's this responsibility for me personally that they have, just like I want them to fall in love with movement, I want them to know that Coach Clark believes in them, loves them, and then wants the best for them. So when they go out and have an experience with somebody who looks like me, their first thought is not what they may see on the news. Um, so I feel that that's that's you know some might think of that as a burden. I think it is what it is. You know, so I'm very cognizant of those type of interactions that I have with my students. I want to develop a, a trust and you know just make them you know go out into the world and and, and be open and be good people so that's one of the things that I think and why it ties into physical education is that we as physical educators have probably the biggest scope and reach of any teacher on campus because we deal with everybody at some point in time. Our reach is incredible that's probably my favorite part of the job when I when I go to a graduation or I look at where the kids are going to college I remember that kid oh I know that kid I know that kid most of the teachers can't say that yeah you know so yeah. we have a a, a very um, important reach you know and so why not give those kids the best experience they, they, they can have with um, their PE teacher so that's my spiel
0: on that a nice shot of wisdom and pedagogy there nice, nicely said um, let me uh, let me give a couple closing remarks here, and then I'll pull it all together and say uh, good night. And uh, but uh, as I mentioned above, we're reaching out to all of you uh, in the audience to contribute in one way or the or another. We'd love to have you on the Gopher Contributor Network, and uh, it's only as good as you make it look. You all have some good ideas. I mean, you, you know, we share our wisdom. You, you know, we just spent an hour with Darnell. Uh, sharing with his wisdom and and it helps us all and and like as he said, diversity of ideas and thoughts make everything richer. So most of you are well aware of all the technology now, recording, videoing, writing, and we have places on our gopher websites for you to do that, and we want them to be educational um we we don't put them up there to sell equipment or to do things like that or where we just want to share to make people better teachers Um, make your contributions positive and constructive because readers like that um you're busy so keep them short keep them concise and be passionate i think you heard passion today and i love that so um come on, join the uh, join the Gopher Contributor Network. We need you to share and make it a rich place to be. Uh, and with that, I'm gonna circle back uh, to Darnell and say, what a, what a great uh, hour and joy to spend with you, Darnell. Um, I don't get to see enough of you. In fact, I see you about what? Once every 12 years or something. But <laughs> it, it, it is great to see you and, uh, uh, and I really appreciate your insight on these things. And uh, I thank all of you out there in the in the audience. Thank you so much for joining us. Our next, uh, you ever had a teacher you work with that you can't change and they refuse to change and they're going to do it their way and I'm sick of education, I'm not doing this. And they've turned cynical and you're wondering how to change them. Well, we're going to talk about some things you can do to change teaching behavior and that sort of thing in the future. Uh, we ha- we're we not miracle workers, but we're at least going to delve into it and take a look at it. And uh, Darnell, I think we're all wiser and better for the hour you spent with us. Thank you so much. Great job and and see you guys in a month. I think our next one will be February 4th, if I my memory serves me right. Or, pardon me, March 4th if my memory serves me right. So we'll see you the first week of March. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Take care, everyone.